Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast Number 1. This is a podcast of the sermons preached at Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, Pastor Roy will be starting a series on Ecclesiastes entitled, Man's Search for Meaning. In covering chapters 1 and 2, he is discussing the question of the ages. Great morning already, hasn't it, to be in God's house? And I'll tell you, I was relieved uh, when I saw Daryl was in the skit this morning because I saw an air mattress and a pillow over there. And I thought, you know, somebody came over to me and said, what is going on with Daryl with an air mattress and pillow? And uh, what does he know that the rest of us don't? <laughs> and I wasn't sure. Um, but I was sitting there this morning as we were singing that first song, just thinking about that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Wouldn't it be neat at our super summer jam? If we see some Karen, some Hispanic, some Caucasian bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you are there to see it. That is our goal. That is our heart. That is our passion. And as I thought about, you know, preparing for us as a church for this event, I thought that I'm going to uh, start a new series today. Based on the book of Ecclesiastes, man's search for meaning, direction for the journey. Because we are going to come across a lot of people, you already did this week, you came across a lot of people who are searching for meaning in their life. They are searching for direction. They're looking for an ounce of hope and just a glimmer of courage to face tomorrow. And so we have the opportunity to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. And the book of Ecclesiastes, I want to give us an overview of this book that will help us understand. And I looked um, at different various outlines. And Leland Riken, I liked his outline, which gave me an understanding. And I want to use his outline as far as the introduction to help us understand the big picture of what Solomon is wrestling with. As he looks at the meaning of life. And I've entitled the message today. The question of the ages. But in the opening verses. Of chapter 1. He talks about life as a vapor. Very very short. And it's a negative statement. And then from there. He moves to life under the sun. He talks about the cycles. In our world. He talks about knowledge. Pleasure. Wealth. And work. In a negative aspect. From there he moves to life above the sun. The God-centered life. Which is very positive. Later in chapter 2. In chapter 3 he talks about two views of time. Human and divine perspectives. In chapters 4 and 5 he talks again about life under the sun. Which is negative. How life fails to satisfy. And then in chapter 5. Life above the sun. The God-centered life life. And then he goes to life under the sun, observations about life's disappointments in chapters 6 through 9, which is negative. And then living with zest, an alternative to the problems just posed, which is positive. And then in 9 through 10, life under the sun, observations about human folly. And then life above the sun, 
enjoying life with God at the center. His conclusion is his quest was satisfied in the concluding verses of the book. I bring this search for meaning in the question of the ages because in May 2013 in the New York Times, there was an article that said suicide rates among middle-aged Americans have risen sharply in the past decade. And here are some statistics. From 1999 to 2010, the suicide rate among Americans aged 35 to 64 rose by nearly 30%. More Americans now die of suicide than car accidents. Over 3,000 people more die of suicide than car accidents in the United States of America. The most pronounced increases were seen among men in their 50s, a group in which suicides jumped by nearly 50%. And I found that interesting, a group of people in their 50s. And I thought, why is that? And I think it's because when we look at Ecclesiastes, you're going to see a man who is older. He's toward the end of his life. Solomon is at the end of his life. He's looking back over the course of his life and his short history. And he sees that life apart from God is absolutely futile. In essence, it's a waste of time if we don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes no sense. There's no understanding, no rhyme or reason why we exist and what our purpose is in life. Researchers claim that the reasons for the suicide came down to two factors from what they did in their research. The stress of the economic downturn and the widespread availability of prescription painkillers. But they said there's actually probably a deeper issue at stake. What do you think it is? They said it hinted at deeper issues like failed expectations and a loss of hope. Dr. Julie Phillips, a researcher from Rutgers University, says the boomers had great expectations for what their life would look like, but it hasn't turned out that way. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're happy with where your life is, if you're sad about where your life is, if you're feeling like you're just living under the sun and you have lost the perspective of living life above the sun with the S-O-N in mind. But this is, this is Solomon's view. It's almost like, you remember when you were a kid, the little kaleidoscope? They had the kaleidoscope that you can take and you could twist it and there were different patterns and the the glass in there would turn and depending on the angle of the colored glass, the pattern would change as as you twisted that and it would make something beautiful. Well, that's the way I picture Solomon as he's looking through life. He takes that kaleidoscope and he's kind of twisting it and he's trying to get it to focus on something that is going to give him an understanding of why he even is here. And what is the point of it all? The most frequent phrase used in the book of Ecclesiastes is under the sun or under heaven. Occurs more than 30 times. And what he is trying to convey by that is life apart from God is meaningless. 
from a humanistic approach. Another key word in Ecclesiastes is vanity or meaningless, which means vapor or breath. It occurs 31 times. The word is used to describe the fleetingness and the emptiness of life without God at the center. Solomon wrote this book about a thousand years before Christ came. Not much has changed since. He is trying to understand the meaning and the mystery of life. And after careful observation, he comes up with three assessments that we want to look at this morning. The first assessment is this. Everything in this world is short-lived and senseless. Now remember, when I say this, I am talking about life under the sun. I am talking about a life that is not connected with God, that does not accept God. From a natural perspective, life is short-lived and senseless. For us, it is short-lived. There was a man by the name of Cyril Yod. He was born on August 12, 1891 in Durham, England. As a student at Oxford, he formed a worldview based on atheism socialism, and pacifism. Engaged in government for 16 years, he returned in 1930 to teach in the departments of psychology and philosophy at the University of London. As a philosopher, author, teacher, radio personality, he was one of Britain's most controversial intellectuals of the 1940s. He became famous in Britain as an agile participant in the BBC Brains Trust radio program from 1941 to 1947. Late in his life, Cyril Yod reversed his course and came to a much different conclusion about reality. To paraphrase him, he said this, I have previously held in my optimism that man would find ultimate good, meaning, peace, and harmony on this earth. He watched with great interest the politicians to find peace. He saw the formation of Woodrow Wilson's League of Nations and the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. But after all was done, he watched men go into two world wars, horribly killing each other in horrifying ways. And in the end, he realized the fundamental problem of man. Listen, he said the fundamental problem of man is man. That's the problem. And so he repented and he accepted a worldview he had formerly rejected. And in 1952, he published his final volume, The Recovery of Belief. He was a picture of modern man. People are seeking to understand the world in a way that will give them meaning and wholeness. And people are desperate for hope. It's like they have a square peg and they're trying to fit it into a round hole. And it doesn't work. And that's where Solomon is. Look at the opening words. He says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And when he uses a word twice, it is a superlative. In Hebrew, they often repeat words for emphasis. The holy of holies. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They would repeat words to make it a superlative to say, 
It is in bold. It is underlined. It is emphasized. Here, Solomon means that life is the ultimate thing that apart from God does not make sense at all. And meaningless, the word here is hebel, which means vapor or breath. He tells us in James 4.14 that life is a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Psalm 144.4, man is like a breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. And even back in the book of Genesis, it says, from the ground you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. One commentator suggested the English word that best approximates the meaning of hebel, which means meaningless, futile, empty, is vapid. I'd never heard of this word before. The Hebrew word is also used in Zechariah 10.2, which means in vain. The idols speak deceit. Diviners seek visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false and they give comfort in vain. In other words, you can receive no comfort at all. It is useless. It is futile to worship idols because they can't help you at all. And he uses the same word there, Hebel. Vapid does not capture the full meaning for Hebel. The word extends to the idea of that which is deceitful or ineffectual, especially used of false gods. It's also used in Jeremiah sixteen nineteen. What is he saying? It is utterly transitory and insignificant. Everything in this universe is fleeting and of no real consequence. All that man can accomplish has ultimately no value. All my awards, all my certificates, all my degrees, all my records are trash apart from God. That's what he's saying. It makes no sense. There's no, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> I mean, it's worthless. Say, man, I'm glad. You know, it gets worse. Because when you die and I die, guess what's going to happen? Somebody's going to sell your house. Your kids are going to sell your house. They're going to drive your car. They're going to eat your food. They're going to get rid of most of your possessions. They're going to wear your clothes. Well, maybe not wear your clothes. <laughs> Some of you are like, no way. I'm not wearing my dad's clothes or my mom's clothes. Maybe not wear the clothes, but the point is, you can't take it with you. It's going to be all left behind. And that's why he says it's meaningless. Tommy Nelson, in his book, The Problem of Life with God, he says, you may want to be immortal, but tough luck. You may want to be like King Tut and build a massive pyramid where you can cram all your precious possessions in, hope that you will take them with you, but you will go and they will stay. Your best case scenario, he said, is that one day some archaeologists will discover you and your goods, put them in a traveling exhibit, and bring it to Cleveland so children can sneak up and spook each other around your dead body. Because <laughs> that's about all we have. We're going to leave it all behind. And so he says it's meaningless. And then he gives the question of the ages in verse 3. Notice what he says. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? 
That is the question. What is the point of it all? He's saying it is pointless apart from God. There is no point to it. And then he goes on. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. And there is nothing new under the sun. And so he takes that kaleidoscope and he turns it again to get another glimpse. And his second assessment is this. Life is insignificant in comparison to the universe. He takes a look at the universe and he sees all the things that are happening, the solar system and everything. In verses 3 and 4, we see human insignificance in comparison to the unending earth. I mean, we have six and a half million species on the earth. Another over two million in water. And they come and they go, and they come and they go, and generations come and go, and the sun rises and it sets, and it rises and it sets, and all these things happen. And he said, it continues on like a machine, and we come and go, and it was here before we came. We didn't start it. We can't stop it. We don't understand it. It just happens. And he doesn't even understand it. And yet it's all there. There are over 298,000 different plants. And I found this interesting that there are 130 different species of roses alone. And I can hear the ladies now, yeah, I'd like to have a couple of those on my table at home. Men, think about it. Make sure you get the right color, though. You know, color is significant. I never knew there was such a thing as a black rose, Daryl. A black rose, and I'm glad I didn't because it means slavish devotion. So if you get a black rose, you're probably a slave. You don't want that. Or if you've been married for a few years, please don't get a blue rose either. I never knew there was such a thing as a blue rose. If you've been married 40 years and you get your wife a blue rose, you just told her you don't understand her. It means mystery. (laughs) So there's a lot of meaning in those. The second thing here is human insignificance. In comparison to the unending cycle of the sun, we are insignificant. We see the sun rise in the east and it sets in the west day after day. It does what it does. And he's just saying it just goes on and on and on and on like one long cycle. Every person has the opportunity to experience these cycles wherever they are in the world. And the cycles outlast human existence. And they also defy human explanation. We don't really understand the reason for these cycles, but God put them in place. Maybe to measure time for us. The third thing here is human insignificance. He twists it again in comparison to the unending cycle of the wind. And I have learned about wind since moving to South Dakota. 
Man, our first winter here, I remember it was in the dead of winter. I'm looking over at the neighbor's house, and they've got a flagpole, and that flag is sticking straight out. I mean, it was just windy. And, and we put a picture on Facebook, and somebody saw it back in Virginia. And they said, is that really that much wind in South Dakota? I said, tell them, no, it's frozen that way. <laughs> I mean, it is. <laughs> it is that windy. Much to my chagrin on the golf course. But Jesus, even referring to the wind in his conversation with Nicodemus in John 3, 8, he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. You just don't know. God's in control of that. The fourth thing is human insignificance in comparison to the unending cycle of the streams. Water just keeps moving. How many of you have been in Niagara Falls? It's an awesome site. A lot of power, a lot of water. Some of us, like Donnie, have been to Victoria Falls in Africa, which is one and a half times larger than Niagara Falls. They say it's the biggest water curtain in the world. Incredible. And yet that water just keeps going and going and going. And he goes on to say about humans then. Again, in verse 8, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. We never are satisfied with what we see. Can't see enough food, can't see enough beauty, can't see enough this, can't see enough that. And we can't hear enough either. Even at the coffee shop, you can't hear enough. I thought, man, that's hard to believe. Because everybody thinks it's a coffee shop, you hear everything. You don't hear everything. In fact, Tony, I was trying to think when we were in Japan, if I, I don't think I heard a dog bark in Japanese. Um, but they have a different sound, so I'm told. Uh, it's amazing. There are so many sounds we have never heard and we will never experience. And even if we did, it's meaningless. That's what he's trying to tell us. Humans cannot find significance in their lives by attempting something new. Notice what he says in verse 10. At the end of verse 9, there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. Nothing new. It's been here. And also, an encouragement too, is people will not remember us. Oh, who was that guy that, who was that, what... I mean, look in verse, the next verse, verse 11. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. So go ahead and etch your name somewhere, but it won't last. And it's meaningless apart from God. He takes that kaleidoscope and he twists it again because he hasn't found it. In creation, the world, the cycles, the water, the sun. And he twists it again. And here's what he comes with. Life, assessment number three, has no real meaning apart from God. I know some of you thought I was going to say fishing and hunting. (laughs) Life has no real meaning apart from God. Now, I'm not going to have time to get through all this. This is just the beginning. But he begins this quest at looking at this through several 
different lenses. And we'll start this morning with this. Lens number one, philosophy. Philosophy. He wants to discover the big picture. Look in verses 12 to 15. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. There's that phrase, without God. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. What is he saying? I'm trying to discover the big picture as I speculate, as I observe, as I watch. I'm trying to make sense of it all, and I can't. And so there's disappointment. The disappointment is this. It is an impossible task. Impossible task. He says, what is lacking cannot be counted. The big picture cannot be discovered apart from God. A person's life and work can be seen as nothing more than meaningless and a chasing after the wind. And the point is this, even if you catch the wind, what do you have? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) You're chasing something that even if you could get it, it would mean nothing. And how many people in our world will come to our super summer jam, are chasing after the wind. Today, they're at home, maybe in front of their television. They're at home doing something else, and the furthest thing from their mind is God and worship. Because they're worshiping something else. And we have the truth. We need to have a passion to share it. They are lost. We can go halfway around the world and share. And it was a wonderful trip at Tony's. But my friend, we got to do it at home too. We got to do it at home. We have to share the gospel with people who have no meaning, no hope apart from God. How can we discern the reality of God? Some would argue that reason alone we can discern the reality of God. They would argue if you can't see it or touch it, it should not be believed. They would say that truths that are rational or make sense are those truths that can be tested or examined by the senses. Others would say, no, no, it's not reason, it's faith. Faith, you got to believe. Sean Hayes says it this way, if you have reasons for your faith, then it is no longer faith, for faith is certainty of those things that are not seen. Stick with me. Reason says, follow the evidence. Faith says, simply believe. Hayes goes on to say that reason is the ability to think. It is the God-given facility, power, or instrument by which we can understand the world, make proper judgments, and discover truth. Physics, logic, philosophy, and mathematics are all examples of disciplines that use reason to aid us in discovering truth. 
Remember general revelation? We talked about it a few weeks ago. General revelation that God spoke this world into existence and we can see with our physical eyes the universe that God has made, part of it. And because of that, we can by reason alone understand that there is a God. We are without excuse because of that. So reason is essential. Faith is also essential. So it's not either or, it's both and. Faith is essential for special revelation. For the word of God, it is the revealed written word of God and that requires faith to believe it. Reason and faith are both essential in understanding. Faith goes beyond reason but it is not contrary to it. God has given both to man. Well, we need to stop here. There are several other lenses that he is going to look at in his life. But each one of them comes up empty apart from God. Let's stand for a word of prayer. As we stand for prayer this morning, I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I would ask you, where are you at with your life personally? Have you bowed your knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Or are you going through the motions and looking at the world like Solomon did, apart from God? If you are trying to make sense of all of this outside of a relationship with God, you will not do it. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. If anybody was qualified to do a search, to observe, to understand what God made and who he is and what it's all about, it was Solomon. But yet even that eluded him. I ask you, where are you at in your relationship with God? As you stare eternity in the face, as you think about your soul, your eternal soul in light of eternity, do you have a personal relationship with God? Do you have assurance of your salvation? That if you pillowed your head tonight and you never lifted it off tomorrow morning, that you would be with God. Do you have that assurance? The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Are you willing to humble yourself and give your life to the Lord? You could come up here to the front this morning and pray to receive Christ. And I would encourage you to do that. You say, get up in front of all those. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Don't be ashamed of the gospel and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've gotten off track spiritually because you don't read God's word. And therefore, if you don't read God's word, you are approaching it life from a natural perspective apart from God. And that's going to lead you to trouble. And it probably has already. We need the wisdom of God. That's what Solomon is saying. We need the mind and heart of God. 
And life apart from knowing God is meaningless. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel kind of hopeless. You can have your hope renewed this morning in Christ. I would encourage you to give your life to Christ. I would encourage you, if you are already a believer and your hope has been dashed, would you renew your hope in the Lord this morning? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their hope, their strength. And we need to be praying for our community because there's a lot of people that are where Solomon's perspective was when he wrote this. He wrote this to give us an understanding of natural man apart from God. And we need to see people in our community, not just during the Super Summer Jam this week, that God may lead you to to share Christ with. Would you be willing to do it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the power of your word. Lord, we are privileged to be able to have a relationship with you. We are privileged to be able to gather week by week in a place like this, a place of worship, to be able to sing songs of praise and adoration to you because you alone are worthy of our praise and adoration. To be able to open your word and read your word and share your word and expound on your word. We might hide it in our hearts so we might not sin against you. Lord, we think about our community. We think about the lostness of man apart from Christ. The meaningless of life apart from a relationship with God. Lord, if there's someone even here this morning within the sound of my voice who has not bowed their knee to you, they're on the merry-go-round of life and they keep seeing the same old scenery and the same old experiences and the same old disappointments. God, I pray. I pray that today would be the day of salvation where they would get off the merry-go-round and get off the circle and give their life to Christ, that they would humble themselves and acknowledge their sin before a holy God and realize the price that has been paid for their sin has been paid in full. And they can receive salvation full and free by bowing to you. I pray that if there's one here like that today, they would give their life to you. And Lord, for our community as well, I pray as we go through our week, we just don't brush off people. You would give us a sensitivity to many people around us who are searching for truth and meaning and purpose and hope because they don't have it. They're sitting at home today wondering, what is this all about? Why am I even here? What's the point of it all? Some could even be contemplating ending their own life this very day. God, lead us to those people. Give us the courage to speak up for you. Lord, we pray that you will bring people to the foot of the cross in the next several weeks. 
I pray that you will help us be prepared spiritually as a church to be a voice, to be a testimony for the gospel. Lord, burden our hearts with people who need Christ. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have of gathering here. I thank you for this church body. Lord, I thank you for the work that you want to do in and through us. Would you shape us to be more like you? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. The elders, we have a brief meeting. A couple things we need to uh, tackle before our next meeting that are timely. So if we could just meet in the one classroom back here for a little bit, that would be great. Thank you.